You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Hey, well, good morning. That's an old going? school intro. Yeah, I don't even know where to start right now. <laughs> my boss thought we were taking this weekend off. I'll explain it. My boss thought we were taking this weekend off. So you have to take everything out of the computer and rebuild it. Do you want to So sleep? then I called him and and then he called me and I said, no, we're not taking this weekend. It's next week. So okay. then he rebuilt it wrong. So I can't, I'm not going to take any responsibility for that. That's my boss. Well, Are you what? asking us to leave, Jim? <laughs> yeah. No, no, Is you're that good. What you just did? No, no, you're good. You're good. Because yeah. I have an appointment here in Slow at 11. <laughs> so, you guys are good. I, yeah. I have nothing to do. I may as well sit Sorry here and chat that. with yeah. you folks. Yeah, we can, run, we can run the intro if you just fill out a place. No, I'm good. No, it's okay. cool. we could do it in the second hour. Okay, we're running the In r- fact, I, I'd rather just have you do it from memory without. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Wow. Anybody? What <laughs> economy is he talking about? <laughs> That's about all I know. Yeah. Your host. You're yeah. listening to Mortgage Matters. Now your host, Dan Podesta. Dan, I'll, I'll get the <laughs> name. Oh, okay. Take two. Dan Podesta and Jason Grody. There we go. There it is. That was, that good. was good. Yeah. It sounded really legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> From Central Coast Lending. Of course. Yeah. I uh, saw this morning that there's some company down in Southern California that's like been recognized as a, f- a rapid growing mortgage company and guess what they do dan mortgages a mortgage radio show no way yeah wow and guess what it's called don't say no yeah. i'd sue them <laughs> i think if we could that'd be fun <laughs> that'd be fun <laughs> no it's called the mortgage <laughs> radio show wow that's original yeah very good name i mean you should have a name that says what you do Mm-hmm. It's good what it is, so people aren't confused. Sure. See, now I thought Mortgage Matters was pretty clever. You know, there's like another Mortgage Matters up in the Bay Area, though. Have you heard that one? Well, yeah, because when I went to look for the the web domain, it was gone. Yeah, yeah, I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was, it's always a bummer when that happens. Like, if you try to get an email address and somebody already has your name at that email address, I leave very little room for any other Jason Grodys out there. Very little. Your last name's more common than you might think. I know. Jerry, I, that was actually a cousin in my family, though, the catcher, Jerry Grody, from back in the day. Never heard of him. Right. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> I don't know. Who is he? Have you ever seen... Uh, there's a catcher for like the Brooklyn Dodgers, man. The Oh, we're talking way back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen, though, like... Tail lights for cars, like aftermarket tail lights, and then also they have uh, some are made by a company that says Grody across the lens. Never seen that either. I think you're just making these things up. Uh, Don't make me prove it. Hmm. It's true. Okay. Oh, Matt, there you go. There you go. Brooklyn Dodgers. You're really really tight with your. Yeah, baseball you know, playing family member. Look at these pictures. That's like from like 1918. <laughs> <laughs> My uncle was claiming this the other day, and he's like the guy that's always like claiming something outrageous, you know, about our family. He gets on ancestry, and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, 
you had a grandfather that was like one of the lead engineers at Ford. And you're like, mm, okay. <laughs> he made the assembly line. And I'm like, well, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he was telling me about, uh, you know, this baseball relative we had. Cool. Oh, Matt. Sorry. Yeah. Matt. Hey, I will, um, I will say that, okay, I was going to make some, a fool of myself here. It looked like on his age that you have long life. It looked like a comma here. So it looked like he's lived 73,000 years. Wow. So that'd be really great for you. It's a good run for you, but you know, it's a 73.046 oh. instead of 73 and a half or in like a couple of weeks. <laughs> Still a good long life, but definitely less impressive. Yeah. Oh, Jason, you can live 73,000 years, boy. Tell us how it was when you were with the dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, they ate a lot. All right. What do you got, man? I Like I told you, I felt like it was a really thin news week, and uh, I'm not sure there's a whole heck of a lot to talk about. Thin news week? Yeah. Gosh, I, mean, I guess we are in that time of year, huh? And Thanksgiving is next week. It- that's that snuck up on me. So yeah, it's kind of weird this time of year. This is this is usually in the real estate and mortgage business a seasonally slow time. It, it, this is when people start to focus more on on the family holidays, but you know, preparing their homes for all the guests that are going to be arriving in you know, over the next month and a half or so and um and they're they're less interested in in uprooting their family and moving to a new home. So we tend to see um, mortgage applications fall around this time of year. Usually it takes you know, anywhere from 30 to 60 days for loans to make their way from application to a funded loan. So we still have good funding numbers through this time of the year, um, but the applications start to slow down about now. So then we start to see lower funding numbers in the first month or two of the year. January, February are always my least favorite time of the year. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that happens, though, is that it makes it a good time to do business if you're one of the customers that kind of really needs a loan. Very true. November, December, January, February, rates are kind of low. And my theory on it is that because of that limited volume, <clears throat> you, you know, if your volume dips a little bit, you got two schools of thought, right? You could try to double up on more volume by you know, even lowering your price a little bit to make it attractive for people to say, Hey, this is a good environment for me to come try a loan or raise your profit per loan. And I, I subscribe to the first theory. You know, I think when you raise profit per loan, now you're disincenting people when you already have a thin pipeline. And if that doesn't work, you could find yourself in a bad spot real quick. So I think most people err on the side of leaning out the profit margins a little bit kind of keep the coffers full by volume and ride through these months. So I think it makes it for a a, a pretty good month, typically for locks and stuff like that. Last few Decembers, I think ever since quantitative easing began, have been kind of gangbusters more than the norm. I know last year was was quite a busy winter. The year before, I think, was very quiet. And the year before that was another busy, busy winter. So yeah, it's kind of depended on the rate environment and what's going on. Um, With the feds poised to potentially raise rates here in December, that might further um, squeeze the the application volume that we're seeing. Um, I mean, we'll see when they make the announcement in in about a month. 
some of the meeting minutes came out last week. So, but be careful here. This is one of uh, like five things I'm prepared to talk about this morning. So <laughs> we're getting we're about to blow twenty percent of my content right here. Um, Wednesday stocks really shot up. I mean, Wednesday was a a good day, um, and the bond market relatively unchanged. But reason being here is that there was a statement, you know, basically that came out of the minute the the minutes. Listen to this. Tell me what you think about this. Members emphasized that the change was intended to convey a sense that while no decision had been made, it may become appropriate to initialize, initiate the normalization process, provided that unanticipated shocks do not adversely affect the economic outlook and that incoming data support the expectation that labor market conditions and inflation will turn return to the committee's 2% objective. I had to go like... This is like reading Bible verses, man. You got to like you start to go breaking. look up each word. <laughs> well, yeah, and break it down into little parts to make sure you could follow the logic. And whether or not you you know get down and drive way down into that, essentially the feds are just saying, "Hey, get ready. This is may not be this month, but it's it's imminent now." And I think, of course, I mean, it's part of the Fed's desire to be more transparent, right? Nobody wanted to be surprised by this at all, and the Feds certainly don't want to surprise anyone, so they're just sort of talking it to death before it ends up happening here. Um, so, again, we'll wait and see what ends up happening in this meeting. I guess that's like three weeks away now. Yeah, economists, you know, they, they update these polls regularly, um, like, a poll of, of economists recently, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 75% uh, believe that there will be a rate hike here in December. I, you know, there's many different sources that, that we checked, you know, prior to, to today's show, just about the f opinions and editorials about the, f the FOMC minutes and, and the expectations for this December meeting. And, you know, one of the common themes I saw are that we had a really good October jobs report usually November is pretty strong also because of all the holiday hiring that's that's going on. We saw in that October report, which you know came out that first week of this month, first week of November, um, that hourly earnings were up two and a half percent. And then I went and looked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics website for consumer price index, and it showed that over the last 12 month period, we've seen a 1.9 percent inflation rate. Um, so, when I look at all those different metrics, it seems like we're pretty well poised for in the labor the, inflation in the labor market. Or you're talking about consumer, general consumer inflation? CPI, CPI. Wow. So that's our benchmark inflation number. Um, it was up 0.2 percent month over month this most recent reading. I think that was the same as the previous reading. And when you look back over 12 months, it's actually up 1.9 according to. The chart I saw on Bureau of Labor Statistics, it did say it was not seasonally adjusted, but it did show a 12-month change. So I'm not 100% sure if I'm reading that chart right, but it, that's the way it looked to me. Uh, uh, what I just heard you say, though, is it sounds like inflation's approaching, and approaching their approaching the 2% number they're looking right, for. Right, which is one of, I mean, you know, it was all jobs and uh, jobs and housing was all the conversation from the Fed for a long sure. time up until probably 18 months ago. Inflation. And, and now it's kind of shifted away from still a focus on jobs, but away so, from housing so much and more onto inflation. And now that inflation appears to be, you know, getting back towards the target number, 
this may be the perfect time to do the rate hike. And like you, like we were talking about last week, it's kind of a time when when business is slow. People aren't really paying attention to what's going on in the economy. They're more focused on what's going on inside their own their own uh, excuse me the four walls of their own home. And so it might be a good time to sneak that in there, let the rest of the financial world absorb it for a month while you know we're kind of dealing with the holidays, and then and then it'll already be there and maybe even be forgotten by the time everyone emerges from uh their from new their new year hangover. Yeah. yeah i i would not be surprised you know and at this point i i know i say this all the time but i feel like as always the anticipation's greater than the deed totally everybody's been talking about this for so long and it's got some serious ramifications right i mean every time we get here you can you can start going which way do you want to talk about it how does this rate hike affect my 401k what does it do to somebody that's on a fixed income what does it do for somebody that sells real estate what does it do to people that use big credit lines to meet payroll um well it's just so funny because people will freak out about this people will make home buying decisions based on are the fed gonna are are, are they gonna make the change in december yeah but look at what i mean there was serious belief that they were going to make this change back in june it didn't end up happening but what have we seen since june we have seen rates go up and volatile. come back down it's to you know three and three quarters and back up to four. I mean they've been moving in a good half point interest rate range, so when the Feds increase the benchmark interest rate by a quarter of a point, does it affect mortgage rates? Yeah. Yes. But the unknown is having a greater effect than if we knew what the environment was and what to expect and could say, okay, we know now that the leadership of our economic country here believes that it we're in an environment to, to normalize rates. By the way, I want to make a conscious effort here to, rather than talk about the Fed's raising rates to, to shift, really, that it is the normalization of interest rates. These rates are artificially low, and it's been that way for a long time. Um, so James Bullard, he's one of the Fed members. He's not a voter this year, but he's going to be a voter next year. Okay, So he's there and participating in the, in the discussions and reporting back on his district, doing all the functionality. He's not currently a voting member. He made a comment last week that the Fed should begin normalizing rates and said that low rates may be paradoxically keeping inflation low. Not a real popular opinion and certainly not one that even follows the old econ 1A type of thing. But this guy's actually, his ideology is suggesting that we may actually be limiting our economy right now because we're staying in this phase for too long. And I don't think anybody, and I'll bet James Bullard would say this too, I don't think anybody expects that when they make a move, something real big is going to happen, right? What are we talking? A quarter of a point from what I remember? I mean, and when was the last time rates were raised? It's been like eight years. Uh, since 2006. Almost Nine Almost years. 10 years. Almost 10 years. Yeah. And you remember that a little bit. That was kind of the beginning of our, um, it in the cycle of rates, that was sort of where we got into the business as it was sort of in an upswing, right? 
Yeah, there was some wild times a little bit before that, but 2006 was feeling like the end. I don't. I don't. 2006 was wild. I'd come into work <laughs> on a Thursday morning, and they'd say on the rate sheet that the company published, it would say um, Prime today. And we'd have to look at that because the Fed meets almost every month. I don't know. It's, what, 10 meetings a year? Yeah, and they were and bumping it they, every they month. they bump it. And they bump it a quarter, typically. That's what it was. It was a quarter of a point. Not that big of a deal. You stack a year worth of a quarter a month together. Obviously, you're moving a couple percent, but not that big of a deal. And I needed to know that as I'm qualifying and approving people for loans. I need to know what the current rate is so that we could qualify them appropriately. But it wasn't that big of a deal. Check it out. Oh, yeah, another quarter. Biggie, biggie, wow, quarter, a quarter percentage point isn't a game changing amount of money. And so that was just like, oh, hell, they did change it and write it down. Now we haven't changed in so long that like everyone's sitting here staring at the tube watching the same channel and can't wait for what's about to happen. Um, we, we know what's going to happen. They're going to raise it. We just don't know when. So we've been watching yeah. now, like you said, since June, people are peeled, eyes peeled on the set. What's happening? And meanwhile, without any Fed action, rates have been moving up and down. So, you know, it's it's the Fed movement's going to, to happen, but rates are also going to move up and down before and after the Fed make an announcement. Totally. It always happens. It it's, very... There's so many factors that play into what mortgage rates are doing. The Fed doesn't determine mortgage rates. They determine the overnight lending rate. And that's what they're directly impacting. Now, it does trickle down to other other aspects of, uh, of borrowing, um, but it doesn't have a direct correlation. It just... It just is one of several factors that influences what we see in the mortgage interest rate world. So it's so just a reminder that um, that if while we're all enjoying a, a nice holiday meal or something with our family and the feds decide to move rates, it's not the end of the world. Things will still go on and rates it's still going to be fine. might even <laughs> stabilize or decline it's just based on now knowing <laughs> what policy is exactly. instead of having all this time to speculate. Exactly. That, you know, it's always that, you know, do we take a break? I have one more thing to say. I'm going to sneak in one more thing. Okay. Do it. One other thing I want to say about this time of year when it comes to applying for a loan is that there are oftentimes, and usually found by dumb luck, um, these opportunities in the market because a particular investor or bank is hungry for to fill out their mortgage portfolio for the end of the year and they're missing a certain segment of loans or they're low on one certain segment of loans. When these big aggregators of mortgage pools, when they go to sell their loans, they want to have a nice basket of loans that has a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and and they want it to be nice, nice and balanced, just like you know, a good cocktail or something. That's what a mortgage trader is looking for. And so when they see uh, a void in their pool of loans, they'll they'll incentivize that type of origination by lowering the profit margin there. So you may see one bank hungry for a jumbo five-year arm and they're going to price it accordingly. And and it's every bank has a different little niche they're trying to fill to round out their year-end portfolio. Yeah, um, 
in the beach volleyball setting. Thanks for the set. I'll go for the spike. <laughs> That's one of the things that I really like about the structure of this company and the way that we do it is I tell this to people. This is words to hang on here. Um, banks dictate their appetite by their price. Okay. If they really need something, then they lower the price to you because they need to get it. They want it. They have to have it. If they're filled in all of the 30-year fix, like Seslock, for example, they only have so much fixed money per year before they run out. So when they get full or as they're approaching full, what are you going to do? I raise the rate up a little bit. I make it a little less attractive because I don't want to bring people in for my best deal and go, sorry, we don't have it. <laughs> you know, you're at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Sorry, we're all out of the chicken. You can't do that. So what you do is you start making it a little bit more expensive. So then when those people come in, they look at it and they say, oh, I think I'll wait. <laughs> and now it's like a, a kind of thing where they're just going to sit back and kind of wait for their right time in the market. So let me ask you this. How do you know if you're walking into Wells Fargo on that day? You don't. Are you here for, like, Wells does line of credit, FHA, VA, purchase loans, 30-year fix, all these different things. What are they looking for? You don't know until you walk in. Are they busy for that or slow for that? Are they trying to buy it or are they trying to price you to walk away? Yeah. You have no idea. It's the only way you can really get a clue is if you are good about shopping. So and then you see one that's just an outlier. If you're working with a company like us, the way that we stay competitive I mean, there's a variety of ways that we make ourselves stand apart, but having all these different investors to choose from, seeing the investors that, oh man, these people have been trying to buy that segment of market for a while, start to pay attention to it. At the same time, sometimes a company comes out and tries to buy some market, swamps their boat and ends up kind of gridlocking, can't get anything done because their price was so low. So we're kind of a good barometer for that. It's like watching all of the banks put their best foot out, looking at their reputation, knowing what service levels we typically get out of them, and then being able to to put somebody in a deal um, that's the best deal for them, not the best deal for the bank. That's a that's a point that it's always, I always love to make that point, but it's, I think, a hard thing for consumers to understand that, you know, they don't get that walking right into the bank in town, no matter who it is, you're getting just what they have to offer you're getting it on the day that they are pricing it and you don't know whether or not you're simply walking into a good deal or a bad deal so then you can go to all the banks in town but who has time for that or you can come see us where all the banks in town are giving us their rates and fees in an effort to compete for the business all right that was nice. That was the spike. Good day. spike. <laughs> All right. It's time. It's 927. We're so happy that you've joined us here today. Uh, it's a beautiful November day. Just a little bit before Thanksgiving next week. I'm so excited. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Hope you guys are all ready. Um, it's a great way to prepare for the holiday week by listening to all, a weekend episode of Mortgage Matters. Get all stretched up. Yeah. All right. We're going to be right back with uh, with more live show coming at you. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. 
switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right. Welcome back. It's 930 on the nose. Guess what? What? We're going to have Wes Burke. He's going to be here sometime. No way. Yeah. I think our schedules have not aligned. I don't feel like I've seen Wes for maybe three months. Yeah. It's been a while. He's busy. I know. He's a busy guy. I know he is. And he's, you know, running around from this advisory body to the chair of this board to the, you know, all these things. Kind of a big deal. He's a real big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, he really is. So we're going to have him on. It'll be interesting to see what he has to talk about. I, I I feel rather than just try to take the barometer of the market in, you know, slow county, we'll probably end up talking about what kind of uh, things are afoot within real estate and law and that kind of stuff. I mean, there's yeah. always plenty. Yeah. Last week, we talked a little bit about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and what they're up to. Um, this week, we got a look into FHA. Did you see any of this stuff? I don't, I don't Kind know. of interesting. So as you well know, on an FHA loan, there's two components to the mortgage insurance, right? Mm-hmm. There's what we call the upfront mortgage insurance premium. And this is fixed. Um, it's a percentage of every loan. Uh, it's currently 1.75% of the loan amount. So if you borrow hundred thousand bucks, $1,750 is what you owe at the funding of that loan. But what they do is they just tack it onto the loan, right? So you're going to pay it back over time. I mean, it's an option that you could pay cash for it, but I think most of the people that are borrowing FHA finance it. I mean, I know most of the people do numerically. That's true. 
Um, and then there's a monthly component. You have a factor based on some of the characteristics of your loan, but by and large, there's very little deviation from it. On average, it's 0.85% of your loan balance annually. So you pay it every month, a 12th of that number every month. It declines over time with your loan. On today's new FHA loans, that monthly mortgage insurance component, if you do the minimum down payment, it lasts now for the life of the loan. And I think we're at least two years into that. I think it's two and a half now. Fact check me, baby. A couple years. I think you're right. It's been a while. I want to say, yeah, it was like June of... Whatever, two and a half years ago. Yeah. 2013. 2013. Yep. Yeah. So here's the deal. The reason they did the increase in the... So they did like a, a an increase in the upfront fee. What was it? I, I, I We should be writing this stuff down so it can be tracked over time. But I'll, I'll tell you like what I earliest remember of this stuff was the upfront fee being one point. And the monthly being 0.55. Today, or well, then it went to the upfront being 1.75 and the monthly being 1.25. So it went up quite a bit. Now it's upfront 1.75, monthly 0.85. But this new twist here is that you your mortgage insurance would last for the life of the loan. The reason they manipulate that upfront cost as well as that monthly cost is to make sure that FHA is solvent. I mean, this is a part of the government that um, works for helping people to basically to, to foster home ownership. Um, there's a variety of reasons why the government believes that's really important. And this creates opportunities for people with some credit issues or some... Um, low down payment issues, the primary thing, but also even a little bit higher debt to income ratio. It's a program which is a little bit more lenient and accepting on most things. It's riskier. It's riskier. You call it more lenient? It's riskier. So therefore, there's mortgage insurance coming at you from a couple different angles that is Lasting relatively forever. expensive. Yeah. Okay. So now we're revisiting that though. Um, two years ago, Congress mandated that FHA have a 2% capital ratio. So you needed, FHA needed to set aside reserves that were equal to 2% of the volume of their business and a pretty good chunk of money. How are you going to collect all that extra fundage to set aside? You're going to collect that by A, making good loans, but B, figuring out the fees that need to be charged per transaction to make sure that you meet this threshold. Fiscal year 2014, you know what their percentage ratio was? Um, 10%. In 0.41%. Really? So below. Gosh. Cash cow, right? I would <laughs> this think. This collecting a 2%, almost a 2% premium on every loan and then collecting a 1% premium per month. How does it? Yeah, the, that doesn't even make sense to me. Legacy issues, losses, expenses. Wow. Yeah, chew on that for a minute. If if on every transaction, and this was true in 2014, like every single transaction took 1.75% up front. You nearly collected your mandated amount then. So it just goes to show you 
These increased fees have been helping them work in this direction. We found out this month that they exceeded the 2% mark for the first time. Hmm. It's at 2.07%. So they actually exceeded it and got some. I mean, if you consider that all of 14 was at 0.41%, everything you know about FHA's share in the market, what it means to be getting an FHA loan. Um, and by the way, I mean, FHA is not only the normal, what we call the 203K, but this is the one that like first-time home buyers with mediocre credit might use. But they're also rehab loans. They're also reverse mortgages. They make up a pretty important piece of the credit offering that is the you know American dream financing angle. Um, so pretty wild. So now that they're over their threshold, guess what the questions are now? Hmm. All right, cool. When are you going to remove that life of loan mortgage insurance requirement? When are you going to lower the upfront mortgage insurance fee? You hit your threshold. Why do you need? I mean, in, in obviously the fees got set at such a level that you were acquiring more money than you actually needed because you're playing catch up. So once you do the catch up at some point, don't you have to levy that? It's like a toll road. Oh, we're going to build this. And then there's a toll and everybody's going to pay the toll until the bond that built the bridge is paid off. Right. Or the road. But once it's paid off, the government never stops the toll. Right. Because people are used to it. You pay it. It's okay. It's part of your deal. Yeah. So in this case now, it's like people are saying, okay, are you going to drop that upfront mortgage insurance premium, lower that back to something more reasonable and or get rid of the life of loan mortgage insurance component? So right away, first month they cross, it's being talked about. And there's nothing definitively being said yet. But at the same time, putting it kind of into context in the marketplace, though, Fannie Mae is expanding their minimum down payment loan that's every bit as competitive as the FHA loan. You need to have better credit, but the minimum down payment is there. They do it with mortgage insurance that has zero upfront, does not last for the life of the loan, and is essentially the same per month fee. Or cheaper. Yeah, it's or more cheaper. credit dependent. So FHA has a, a place in the market for sure. They always will. But now they're, Fannie is kind of directly competing for some of that lower down payment business. And FHA has these almost predatory practices. Like you said, it's riskier. And that's why these charges exist and these policies exist. I'll concede. It is certainly riskier. But in the end... I mean, you got it. You're going to have to compete for market share. So, it'll be interesting to see what FHA does. Jason, is that kind of sort of like the temporary taxes they vote in, like you you talked about with, like Grover? Okay, Grover temp, the tax to fix the streets and and stuff and and great. And I love the fact that they're fixing the streets in Grover because I live in Royal Grandview, but near some of the streets in Grover. Yeah. And um, actually, I have to say that Grover has one of the nicest streets in the whole county right now because of, of that. Well, aren't you but a little... But it was a temporary tax, you know, that kind of becomes like, yeah, well, I think yeah, now we know about it. Kind you know, of. Now, you know. The thing about some of those taxes, though, is mm -hmm. aren't you kind of surprised when every couple of years you find out that there was a half-cent tax mm -hmm. that was set to go through 2015 and yeah. now it's over? 
and they go half cent less taxes on everything now. And you're kind of like, oh, when when does the government just stop on a tax on you? Local yeah. government does that, though. If they have something that they can fund with an initiative like that, that the people understand this is necessary to, to equal this debt and then it'll yeah. stop or it stops on this calendar day. Right. I can get down with that. You know, so essentially the bottom line is we'll be keeping track of what's going on with FHA, obviously, in the coming years here. But um, they're the takeaways this morning here are that they hit their reserves threshold and people are already asking for them to now become more lenient. I mean, you could have a long discussion just about that. But, you know, I thought I'd just give a reminder to everybody that... Um, you know, we do FHA lending and we're very comfortable, well-versed in it. I mean, it doesn't make up the lion's share of what we do through our company, but we're definitely familiar with it. And the one thing that I want to say about that is I, I read a study last year that the big the big banks, you know, if you go into a big bank with a minimum down payment, you're most more likely to end up in an FHA loan than if you go to um, a lender like us with a low down payment. And it's for a few reasons. I mean, number one is from the lending standpoint, FHA is like a government insured loan. And so you'll have a lot less risk as the lender if you're making that loan as as opposed to one of the other loans. Um, and then also it's a very profitable loan. People make an awful lot of money on an FHA loan. And so sometimes folks that could or should be getting a conventional loan um, are getting an FHA loan. And um, the way that it works for um, me and my me and um, the staff and the loan officer, our culture at our office is all about always making sure that we're doing the best thing for the client. And FHA is seldom the best thing for the client. If anything, it becomes the catch-all that you can do you know, it, there's no other option for you. So now if you need to refi, this is your option. And if you're buying for whatever disqualifying reasons there are for all of the other loan programs, this is your option, right? So it's one where, you know, for me, it's like Denny's. I feel like we don't set out to go to Denny's. You end up at Denny's. It's too late. You didn't plan ahead. Hey, and I, I like the Grand Slam. Come on. <laughs> you are the salt of America. Just, yeah. No. It's funny hearing you talk about about that likelihood of getting an FHA loan going to a bank because that sounds so much like um, something that the government has tried so hard to eradicate from lending, which is steering. Yeah. It's called steering. Yeah. It means that a loan officer is forbidden from steering a client to a particular loan program because it is more profitable. Yeah. Um, in fact, at our company, we have the same profit margin built into every loan, whether it be a jumbo loan, a conventional loan, an FHA loan, a VA loan, a USDA loan. It's all the same. So there's no incentive for anyone to yeah, put you into any particular loan because they all generate the same amount of income. And that's the way I can look somebody straight in the eyes and say, I'm merely a facilitator. I understand how to navigate us through this process perfectly. And I'll help you understand the math and logic of the, the rate and closing costs that you're choosing. But I, I can't 
a loan officer cannot be incented to be pushing somebody into an FHA box that could convince could fit into a conventional loan box. That's crazy. So anyway, that that's how that goes. We'll keep you guys abreast of what happens here with uh, FHA, of course, and if they get rid of that life of the loan mortgage insurance policy, that would, I mean, there's a lot of people that probably would refinance their FHA loan, at least into a new one to take advantage of the lower MI. Does a 2% reserve ratio, does that, that doesn't seem like very much for a program that is essentially a 3% down program. Risque. I mean, no, I don't feel like it's a lot, but if the market goes bad, it's going to go bad by more than 2%. Right? I mean, standard default rates, like when I was getting schooled up in this business, you were to expect that in a normal market where unemployment was good and rates were good, default rates... It was like you, 1% or something like a half a percent. Anywhere between 1% and 3% is what I was taught. So okay. you can make 100 loans and... Out of those hundred in two their life, one to two to three of them would go bad. And, and in a great economy where the house is appreciated and the stocks are worth more and the everything's like going gangbusters, guess what? People still die. A single guy can buy a house and People die. People still lose a job. And then go into default, lose yeah. a job going to default. They're, this is what the loan modification department used to be. This is what loss mitigation used to be. That's a That was a normal part of the market. So, yeah, if it is 1% to 3% in a normal market and you're just now getting your head above water, like out of the noose, all right, guys, we did it 2%. It's kind of like, what? That doesn't seem like that much. Let's keep charging that fee and build a nice platform. To 10%. And, <laughs> yeah. then, and then we don't need to bail you out next time. How's that sound? Yeah. You don't have to be the treasury beggar. I mean, you still have to remember, while Fannie Mae is trying to compete for that low-down business, FHA still goes down to a 500 credit score yeah. with a darn near 60% dent-to-income ratio. That's and, some filthy stuff. You know, I mean, and it will layer all of these things onto one another and still allow you to get a loan. So it's not like Fannie Mae is doing exactly what FHA will do. FHA is is really that catch-all um, that you wind up at sometimes. Sometimes there's a there's a place where it makes sense, even if you can qualify for other programs. That's less frequent. Um, more likely, it's that you're excluded from other programs, which is why you're and en- you're ending up in FHA. So, good uh, good news bit. I did not know that they were uh, increasing reserve ratios and all the way up to that. Big 2% number. That's huge. Isn't isn't your household savings rate 2%? Yeah. Should be. Hey, it is time for another commercial break. So we're going to do that. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Wes Burke from Patterson Realty. So stick around for more Mortgage Matters. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. 
called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Chuck Got my chips cashed in, keep trucking, like the doodah man, together, all less in line, just keep trucking, on. All right, everybody, on. welcome. Um, we have Wes Burke here in the studio. This is the uh, owner-operator of Patterson Realty. What's wrong, buddy? Guys, my uh, headset's... Uh, glit glitching out. I can't. You got one ear, two ears, or zo no ears. I can hear you. You know, just because I'm sitting right next to you. Right. <laughs> Try those headphones. Oh yeah, yeah. The ones right in front of you. Um, you need the other jack though. All right, we're gonna get settled in here and have Wes join us very quickly. Um, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? How's that? That's much better. All right. Thanks, guys. Woo. So, Wes. Yes, sir. Over the last, like, seven or eight years, I have had the pleasure of watching you grow a pretty incredible real estate business at Patterson Realty. And was it just a week ago or two weeks ago that you guys have now expanded into uh, the Santa Maria market? We've actually had an office in Santa Maria for nearly a year now, but we were in a physically we were in a. <laughs> you keep talking. I'm gonna help fix your situation. Here. We were in a temporary <laughs> location, and um, we just moved into a uh, a new space. It's brand new. We we um, did the tenant improvements, and so it's a, a brand new office space. It's um, kind of at the uh, intersection there of uh, of Miller and Broadway, and it's really nice office. And we're really you were picking out paint in May. It takes a while to get these things done, Jay. Well, you gotta get just the right color. No, it's like Patterson tomato bisque. <laughs> no, it's actually not. It's uh, it, we we chose to to stay, steer away from the tomato bisque color in Santa Maria, and 
Um, By the way, that's a fabulous fleece you're wearing today. It looks just like you're, <laughs> <laughs> just like sort you're of looks like tomato bisque. Yeah. <laughs> just so everybody around here knows what I'm talking about. When you go through town, the very bottom of town, the one way that is Hygera, there's a three-story building that can only be described as, in my mind, tomato bisque. I hear people call it salmon. Yeah, I would say salmon. Okay. It feels like a salmon to me. I or, think I, pink is probably the most pink common description. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> that's Wes's building. You guys, <laughs> that's where you can find Patterson Realty on the third floor. They occupy the entire third floor of that beautiful building, which is also the same as this uh, sweater Wes is wearing right now. But go ahead, sir. I digress. Yeah, it doesn't work so well for radio when we start talking about that's what? why I helped them identify the, um, you the built, beautiful building You built the mental, mental image for them, yeah. So our office in Santa Maria is at 2646 Santa Maria Way, and it's really nice. I'm super, super proud to have um, Wendy Teixeira practicing with us and Shay Hutchinson, and they are, um, I, I believe, actually the two finest realtors in all of Santa Maria, and I'm, I'm really lucky to be in business with them. They're doing a great job down there, and we did something that I've never done. I've got six offices across the Central Coast, and we've never had a ribbon cutting. Ah. Oh, like the chamber ribber cut, rib, ribbon cutting? Right. Ribber, ribber the, cut, <laughs> ribbon, ribbon. The chamber comes out with a, uh, a big ribbon, and, and all the guests get the to sign scissors. their name on it. And, they have the, and the scissors are so big, you need like three of your best friends to help cut at the same time. Yeah, but they're actually real scissors, and they're very sharp, and... Um, yeah. They take I thought the ribbon and... was like a magnet and the whole thing was just a No, a they're farce. really scissors. Okay. Yeah, so we had it catered and we had uh, food and beverage and uh, invited a lot of our industry colleagues to come celebrate with us. And it was uh, it was really fun. We had a great event and we're pleased to be in our permanent location in Santa Maria. And I expect that that office is going to grow a little bit over the next uh, couple months. So, yeah, it's an, it's an exciting thing. Thanks for bringing it cool. up, Dan. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. How many agents do you have throughout all of your six offices now? Uh, we're up to about 60, 60 agents. Cool. Um, and we've got um, really two offices here in San Luis, but one of them is a property management. So we have, uh, you know, our, our biggest offices in San Luis Obispo, and then we're in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Arroyo Grande, and um, Santa Maria. What benefit do you uh, have by having 60 agents? Well, the reason that we got that big, and our model is a little bit different. It's I don't think it's really very common to have six offices with 60 agents. I mean, normally um, agencies that have, you know, 100 or 150 agents may only have one or two offices. And the, the economics of how the real estate game works, um, the relationship between agents and brokers and how commissions are structured, it's, it's just – it doesn't really – it's difficult to be profitable when you have a ratio of 10 agents per office. And um, so that's that's kind of a unique to us that we've that we've found our way in a, in a model where that where those kinds of numbers work. But the benefit, I think, really is to our clients. The, the reality is there are really great practitioners in all of these communities around San Luis Obispo, like Morro Bay is a great example, Paso Robles another where there were practitioners that really loved our model and wanted to engage with us, be able to leverage the customer service philosophy that we have and the tools and the resources that we provide to our agents to serve their clients. And the synergy. And the synergy. Yeah, the culture is really a big deal. But um, it, you can't, it's not very 
feasible to practice real estate in a community where you, you don't have a brick and mortar space. Yep. So we uh, were very strategic. And in fact, you guys know this story because we participated in our expansion with you. And um, we uh, shared some office space with you guys and, and still do in one location, in fact. And that, that's really uh, enabled us to, to have brick and mortar in, in some of these communities where we would not otherwise. And what it's done for us is it it's enabled us to continue to grow and add the high quality agents from a variety of communities and allow them to maintain their primary focus on the micro market in which they hold the highest level of expertise. Yeah, that's really great. My takeaway from that is that um, you're really attributing a lot of the success to Central Coast Lending. So I, I share <laughs> I share in your success and I I just I applaud it. And I, I you know, yeah, looking forward to more of that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't usually delight in the success of others, but boy, is yours delightful. Well, along with the success of a business comes a tremendous amount of overhead. So don't worry, Dan, you'll get your bill soon. Oh, I do every month. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, and here I thought you were going to, I mean, that was a fantastic answer. I thought you were going to go more along the lines of, um, Real estate agents really do work well together, even at what might be considered competing real estate firms. You have to work together, right? I mean, it's cooperative. You find a buyer, you have a seller, pair the two together, both get to make a little bit of money. But there's some real value to having so many agents on staff like this where you have under one roof advanced knowledge of new listings to the market, uh, advanced knowledge of buyers and their needs. And so you could, if the colleague next to you says, I have a client that must find a five bedroom house in Morro Bay, then you have your Morro Bay agent. So you can say, Hey, if you're looking for who to market this week, you may go look for a five bedroom home and try to talk them into listing because we have a buyer today that though there's just got to be a lot of opportunity based on the sheer number of people now under your roof that can just help meet buyers and sellers needs. Yeah, I do I do think that that's one of the benefits and we we absolutely have a collaborative approach to the business and and believe it or not that's not the norm. There are plenty of offices around town where the agents, you know, lock their doors and file cabinets at night because they feel that they're in direct competition with their colleagues under under the same umbrella of the brokerage. And we don't we we work very hard to not have that kind of environment. So really, the the benefits of our collaborative model um, go well beyond the scenario that you just described. And uh, we can talk about that when we come back. I'd like a chance to explain that. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, it's top of the hour break. We're going to have a few minutes here to freshen your coffee, go do whatever you got to do. And we'll be back with a whole nother hour of Mortgage Matters. We hope that you'll stick around. This is a Thanksgiving song. I hope you enjoy it. Love to eat turkey. <laughs> love to eat turkey. Oh, I love you. Love to eat turkey. Cause it's good. Love to eat turkey like a good boy should. Cause it's turkey. To eat 
So good. <laughs> oh, that clapping's messing my head up, man. Huh? <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back. I appreciate it. That's the Adam Sandler Thanksgiving song, of course. For those of you that don't recognize it but want to hear the whole thing, it's on YouTube, I'm sure. Oh, I'm positive. Yeah. It's very funny. I can't wait for the holiday, for like for the, you know, Christmas and like, doesn't he do, he does the Hanukkah song, right? Yep. That, there's some good, yeah. <laughs> we're going to do some more Adam Sandler as this holiday season nice. rolls on. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm so good. I just happen to have the No, Hanukkah. no, no. We can't. It's too soon. Oh, we're you, a month early. You can't uh, tell this yet. <laughs> that clapping is the beginning right, of the Hanukkah I'll song. Fade it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Drink your gin and tonica. <laughs> All right. Um, Wes, I mean, the government made us do that break right there that cut you <laughs> off and took away your ability to take care of your family. But now we're back. So as you were saying, sir. Well, I wanted to just take a chance and, and visit about this issue. That's a, It's a really big deal within the real estate industry and i'm not sure that the that the consumer fully understands the ramifications and we we danced around the subject when you asked me what the advantage of having 60 agents in an office was and then you went so far as to kind of suggest that one of the big advantages is that we share information about new inventory for example and while the that certainly goes on we do have discussions about potential listings that are coming up and even more discussions about buyers that we're working with whom we can't find an appropriate match for. The reality is we hold strong a core philosophy that when marketing a, real, a piece of real estate, we have a fiduciary responsibility to the seller to expose that listing as broadly as possible because the higher the level of exposure on a on a given piece of property or frankly on any product in this country the greater the demand and the higher the sales price can and will be so we believe in honoring our seller's fiduciary responsibility or our fiduciary responsibility to them that we have a responsibility to expose that home not just to the agents within Patterson Real Realty but to all of the agents within our community across the state and to all consumers across the widest net that we can cast. And I encourage consumers to recognize that this is a reality and um, make sure that your realtor shares that philosophy with you because frankly, this is a market, this climate where inventory is extraordinarily low and it is not that difficult for an agent or an agency to find a, a buyer that is a match for a given piece of property, either within their own pool of buyers or within their office's pool of buyers. But I implore you to understand, you will not get the highest price and the best terms and conditions unless that property is exposed to the broader market and the number one vehicle through which to do that is the multiple listing service so that's my rant i suppose get it on the market get it on the multiple listing service and don't allow your realtor to play the game of trying to sell it themselves without exposing it 
to the broad market. The only motivation a realtor has in doing that is to make both sides of the commission. It's greed-driven. It is not in the best interest of the consumer. We don't engage in that practice, and I encourage consumers to demand of their agents that I they I hear not. what you're saying, but what about this? I mean, let's just say that I'm a realtor working for you, and my best friend, my childhood best friend, is going to sell his house in town, and I know it. I mean, he's not going to use anybody but me. I know it, and it's he's not going to list this thing until the day after Thanksgiving because he doesn't have time. I just know that. So I know that I have a listing coming in a very competitive market. And yeah, I'm going to put it on the MLS on Friday, next Friday. But any harm in telling all of the agents under my roof that I've got heads up, you guys, on Friday, this thing's going to go on the MLS. Uh, but here's some advanced knowledge that you just your luck box for being in an office with me. It's a three bedroom, two bath house and slow, and we're going to sell it for 700 grand. And you now can kind of ponder, kick it around with your buyers that are in the market for that same place and kind of hit the ground running with an edge on all the other competition that's going to be made aware on Friday. Is that bad? No, I think that's perfectly fine. As long as you structure the arrangement such that before the seller engages in a serious negotiation over price and terms. The property is, is exposed and the market is given an opportunity to surface any other capable and willing buyers that want to enter the fray. I hear you. Yeah. Oh, if I were a seller, like I see these things that come on the market and it's like, maybe it doesn't even get listed on MLS and all of a sudden it's like, well, it was quick and they didn't have to hold an open house and they didn't this and they didn't that. And like, yeah, it never even made it on the MLS. So would somebody else have paid 30 grand more? Would you have done, would you have allowed your house to be held for an open house twice for 30 grand? I would. Yeah. And that's exactly my point. Or would you um, be interested in selecting from four to six qualified offers versus one? The one. Yeah, where you can cherry pick the one with the the most so it, the best financing terms or provided that somebody puts this offer or their property on the market, right? Like it comes out on the MLS, I don't know, next Thursday and there's caravan all the thing. How many days do you feel like something needs to be on the market to get its best chance at people seeing it before you jump at the first one too quick? Well, I don't, I don't know that there's a perfect answer for that. I, I think it really depends, but I, it's hard for me to imagine that, that if you do anything prior to about the fifth day on the market, then you, you may be shortchanging yourself a little bit. And we see it often, and we will use with our own listings um, sometimes where we'll put it in the MLS on a Monday, but we'll put a disclaimer in the MLS that says we won't review offers until Friday. And normally we try, because we're very um, deliberate about our marketing, we try most often to bring a property, to actually bring it to market through the MLS on a Monday if it's in San Luis Obispo, for example, because the brokers hold their weekly meeting and then their new listing caravan or tour on Tuesdays. So it makes the most sense to us to have it hit the MLS on Monday notice the real estate community that it's going on to the caravan on Tuesday. 
Um, then by Wednesday, Thursday, most qualified buyers who have been encouraged by their agents to see it have a chance to get through. And by the end of that week, um, it seems reasonable to start to engage in, in negotiations. Makes sense. Yeah. It's a, it's a strategy that, that as a works buyer, well I hate it when it's Monday and a house comes on the market and they're like, we're going to review offers Friday. Like I want a good deal. I want you to look at mine today and know that if you don't answer by tomorrow, I don't wait till Friday. And a lot of buyers will play that game. I mean, we'll see listings that are in the MLS that say quite explicitly um, that uh, they won't review offers until a certain time, and yet buyers will submit offers anyway and put a short fuse on them. And sometimes, if the offer's strong enough, you might even entice a seller to engage, but most of the time what happens in a market like we're in where inventory is extraordinarily low, and to be honest with you, a buyer just doesn't have the same leverage. If if, if the market conditions were different, then then the buyer could potentially yeah, have some leverage, but right like now they don't. Their terms right now. And, and, and so a buyer can put that kind of uh, strategy together or put that kind of strategy forward, most of the time the their agent simply advises them to ignore it and suggests that, it, that if that buyer's a real buyer, they'll be around on Friday just as uh, hungry as they are on Monday. It's all the tactics. I know, you know really, as long as we're really on this topic too, my other favorite thing about these bizarre approaches is the for sale by owner guys. I was approached recently by um, a loan officer that I really respect. Said, all right, I'm going to sell a house, my own you know, a rental house that he owns. So I'm going to sell a house, and I'm thinking about doing a for sale by owner here. Uh, your opinion on this? And, I mean, I it was by tax, but I just write back. What kind of a stupid, you know, <laughs> but... Similarly, when you don't know all these things and about the market or what you could fetch or what strategies and the whole thing, you know, you see these for sale by owner guys. There was another couple of them that surfaced this week. You know, I, I saw getting talked about in slow. Um, does it just seem ridiculous and reckless to you that people would do that? Yeah, it, I mean, I can understand how somebody – it's a real do-it-yourself society these days. I mean, it, let's face it, just about anything that you want to do, you jump on YouTube, watch a video, and and off you go, right? The challenge is multifaceted in real estate, though. First of all, if you don't expose the property, as I've described through the multiple listing service, you're simply not reaching all the potential buyers. Um, and just think about it. Any realtor – that's active in this marketplace at any given time is working with 10 or 15 buyers that are waiting for the right piece of inventory to hit the market. And there's 3,000 realtors on the Central Coast. So I, that is a tremendous pool of potential buyers. I mean, 30, 40,000 potential buyers that are actually qualified in the market, engaged, and ready to execute. And you think that um, that you're going to put it on Craigslist and and gain access to all of those buyers the same as you would through the MLS when you're not offering those agents any compensation to engage with you? I mean, it's just it's it's foolhardy. On top of that, and probably even more potent in the current market climate, 
is the reality that real estate transactions, unfortunately, are extraordinarily complicated. One of the questions that I always ask a for sale by owner if I find myself in conversation with them is, are you even aware of what disclosures and forms are mandated by law for a real, real estate transaction? I don't think I've ever had a for sale by owner answer that question appropriately. I mean, there are disclosures that are that are mandatory, required by law on every transaction, and it's one reckless. of them even requires a very specific form. It, some of the disclosures can be made any way that you want to make them, via email, via a letter, um, but there's one form that's actually the form itself is legislatively mandated. Yeah. Sellers don't know this. They don't have access to the document. Um, and above and beyond all of that, these things have been studied for decades, and it is it proves to be true every year, year in, year out, that homes listed with realtors sell for more than homes where sellers sell their home without a realtor. And these the most recent was actually done by Zillow. And they did an extensive survey across the entire United States on this particular issue and proved yet again with what is arguably the most robust set of data in existence that engaging a realtor, even though you pay a commission, you put more money in your pocket. So oh, all sure. of those things that, I, that I've just said, if you still choose to be a for sale by owner, you're probably the kind of guy I just don't want to work with anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Jeez, when you put it like that. Well, yeah, you you guys just brought me in here and set, got me all riled up today. I guess so. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stick around. Uh, we're going to do a commercial break. You're not leaving quite yet because i got to find out, with all of these boards, bodies, you're the chair, you're the president, you're the the head doggy dog in so many of these things. i got to know if you've got the insight on anything. <laughs> so we're gonna find out if all wes's work here has him having the insight on anything when we get back from this break don't go anywhere keep it locked <laughs> to mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 to ask a question call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832 we'll be back in just a few minutes what a state of generosity look what my agent got for me just by switching to state farm a few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. such an appropriate segue for how I'm going to approach the the answer to this question you that, just popped on me. On that in all of your dealings and your board appointments and chair of the committee of greatness, it's just a touch <laughs> of gray. That's all. I will survive. Oh, okay. Oh, That's, that makes more sense. I will get by. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, yeah. Um, you are though. I mean, you are on a lot of stuff. You travel a lot. You're. And it's, what are the various yeah. board positions and groups that you're part of? Well, first of all, Patterson belongs to a couple of like uh, fraternal. They're like international real estate companies leading the world charge towards inhabiting Mars. That, that's with, what it's called, right? The group that you're in. That's you, actually you it. You yeah. just missed the synergy. <laughs> right. With synergy. International synergistic realtors of greatness without expectation. Seriously, though, what what uh, what groups are you a part of? Um, our company belongs to leading real estate companies of the world. It's a it's a <laughs> Close, net, network of independent companies, just like Patterson Realty. There's no franchises involved, and it's actually it's actually a really phenomenal organization. We um, have uh, about five thousand um, offices around the world in fifty different countries, and we significantly outproduce all of the franchise competitors that that uh, are in the marketplace so it is actually a, a really cool group to belong to and it gives us the opportunity to expose our listings across the globe which is why we joined uh, initially but it turns out that they actually provide a pretty depth pool of re- a deep pool of resources but and that's important for our area because there's a lot of second homes and vacation home 
you know, purchasing going on here. So you want to get people from out of the area. Well, you want to be the camel peeking in the tent. I'll be very honest with you. It's um, I don't think it's that I, I don't think that exposing a San Luis Obispo property in China is very effective. I don't think there's much value in it. But we run across people often um, when we're competing for a listing with one of the national franchises who use their national or global capacity um, as a significant part of their presentation. And so we felt like we needed a way to handle that objection. I see. And once we joined leading real estate companies of the world and our listings became a part of this network marketed across the, the globe, we began to pay attention to what kind of, of attention these listings were getting in China and Peru. And the fact of the matter is we can't really, we can't evidence that that's a significant part of the success of, of marketing a home. Turns out the network provides us a lot of other benefits that we hadn't really fully um, appreciated before we signed up. One example is that it simply gives us a network of like-minded agencies across the United States where we can refer our clients who happen to be transacting in other parts of the of the United States mm. with confidence that they're going to be served in a philosophy similar to, to our own. And so that's been a pretty big benefit. Um, but then you personally are also involved in, are you still involved in, um, in the state? Yeah. And this stuff board? is really, it's tough to talk about on a, on the radio where we can make it compelling to the consumer because the fact of the matter, this is a trade the California Association of Realtors is a trade organization. I've been highly involved. I've been a director with that uh, with that organization for most of the last twelve years. I think all eleven of the last twelve. I've been a, on the board of directors for CAR. Next year, I will be the um, vice chair of the Strategic Planning and Finance Committee for the California Association of Realtors. And you know, frankly, that's it's difficult for me to sit here and try to tell a story about that in a way that anybody listening is going to give a hoot. So well, what, what any... I will do is tell you that this particular committee does have a very strategic approach about um, the planning process for the long-term strategy for the Association of Realtors. And one of the things that has happened in the last couple years um, is – the, the concern about whether or not the existing model is going to change, evolve, be disrupted is, has amplified significantly. It is, I think, fair to say that leadership in the California Association of Realtors believes that disruption is inevitable, and we think that we're probably in for some degree of a change in the model. One of the things that's on our radar, um, there are a couple lawsuits going on around the country. You guys know all about this independent contractor status model. We, at, in the real estate community and previously in the mortgage community, we operated with our agents, um, have operated as they've been independent contractors. Is that going to change? Very possible that it will change. It did um, for us. The mortgage did. industry fixed that problem about five years ago. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. And I, I, it's fun to look at that and thank you guys for, um, for cutting the, the trail. I think that we as the real estate community will rely heavily on the experiences that you've had in the mortgage industry. If we're forced to go down that path. And frankly, I hope we don't, but if we do, that's going to be a very significant shakeup that I predict will have economic ramifications for the entire country. 
it will effectively put out of business probably half of the realtors because Why? no because no broker is going to pay to employ someone that does one deal a year and right now over half of the licensed realtors in this country do one or fewer deals a year. Oh, I just, okay. Then instead of why, good. It sounds like you guys need to clean up some riffraff. You got a bunch of low-hanging fruit grabbers walking around doing one deal a year. They're not real realtors anyway. It sounds like they're a threat to the people they're working with. Well, there, there's a good argument to be made for that. But um, the other the other issue that I think is, um, you know, is kind of a, a topic that I keep my eyes on has to do with um, disruption from outside of the real estate community in some of the um, more modern um, approaches, specifically the Zillows and Trulias of the world. Zillow re recently purchased an organization called Dot Loop, and they are a transaction management platform, uh, which means they have access to all of the forms necessary to conduct a real estate transaction. And Zillow uh, acquiring them, I believe, says that they intend at some level to get involved in the real estate, real estate transaction, and they're not currently. And um, and m more to that point, Spencer Raskoff recent, from Zillow recently said that um, Zillow was very successful in delivering um, quality data to the consumer in a manner that the consumer wanted and that they believe that they can bring efficiencies to the quote paper pushing side of real estate. So not only did the purchase of dot loop indicate they probably intended to get but a direct shot across the bow of yeah. your uselessness. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Paper pushing as, as if um, that's what realtors do. In the, and Don't so, you kind of like that though? I mean, I wish Quicken would run a commercial like that. Cause I'm going to argue they got real crappy loan officers over there and that's one way we're so much better than them. But well, don't you like that they come out suggesting that you've no value. So they're just going to take you over. That's um, easy to go. Psh. Good luck with that, buddy. It's it's kind of funny because, you know, I, I just recently read uh, a book that was written by Spencer Raskoff and his partner. I've forgotten his, his partner's name, but it's called uh, Zillow Talk, and it's it's kind of the Zillow story. And like all through like that— Zillow Talk, yeah. I get it. And all through that book, um, they advocate engaging a real estate professional in your transaction all through it. There's no deviation from that. They— absolutely believe that as a seller you put more money in your pocket as a buyer you're foolish not to have the representation so they're not out there preaching for disintermediation but uh, that's not really the concern i think the concern is a change in the in the value proposition and uh, if 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 zillow can sell to the consumer that the contractual component and maybe even with that the negotiation piece if they can dumb that down and categorize it as paper pushing, then maybe it's easier for them to enter the fray and capture a portion of the revenue that's generated during a, a real estate transaction. But I'm not so sure that the strategy is going to work. Uh, with that said, I, I also believe that it's probably time that this industry evolved to some degree. So um, we may be due for some evolution and it could be interesting and it could ultimately be to the benefit of the consumer. And I think um, we all should pay close attention to that. But the one stat that really um, helps me 
keep from wanting to, you know, jump out the 50th story window is that in a, in the early 90s, before the internet really was a thing, uh, I guess Al Gore was too busy inventing something else, um, about, seven, yeah. about 70% of real estate transactions involved a realtor. And then the internet comes along, and clearly it disrupted a number of industries. It, it, it disrupted the travel industry. It dis, it's disrupted the insurance industry. And the speculation was that it was going to have the same impact on real estate, especially after the big guys came into the fray like Zillow. But the most current stats show that upwards of 90% of real estate transactions now involve a realtor. So we've not only have we not seen a decrease in the engagement of a realtor in a transaction, we've seen a significant increase with the introduction of all of this technology. Well, and don't forget also the um, so much more case law here and precedent set about frivolous lawsuits. <laughs> If you're if and that's if if you wanted to like if great grandpa wanted to sell the farm to his buddy Harry because he you know they just needed to do that deal, those guys could go do that. They you could write that down on a bar napkin. The deed was the most important thing. Today you do that, you're gonna get sued two weeks two weeks from Sunday. Getting you know you missed this disclosure, so now we're gonna get your house and our money back. I mean. I, it's pretty wild to to not have a realtor. So that doesn't surprise me as much. I'm curious too, though, Wes, we talked about um, more than once the significance of um, a statewide listing service. Is that any nearer? Yeah, there's, you know, there's a number of efforts that are that are going on across the country. There's a significant one in California that's slowly gaining momentum. I mean, frankly, I've I'm frustrated. I'm on the frustrated side of this uh, debate and equation. I think we, as a real estate community, have really done ourselves damage um, putting up these artificial boundaries ar around the data. I think, especially after reading the book from Zillow, it's it's become it's become just abundantly clear to me that we had an opportunity to compile that data on a national level and deliver to the consumer real value through those metrics. And uh, we blew it because as an industry, we want to argue about where my line begins and, and yours ends and, and uh, who can look at my listing data. All the while, Zillow was like, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. And they got access to Here the you data. Go. Here you it know, is. Frankly, they, their data is not very good because it's not MLS data. They get it from a bunch of different sources, and that leads to a lot of inaccuracies. But ultimately, they've got, a, they've got such a massive amount of data that they're able to compile statistics that are meaningful. Now, if you really want to drill down to the micro market level, the reliability um, fades. But if you just want to know general directions of marketplaces, if you want to understand strategic ways to analyze data to empower your decision making, Zillow's done a phenomenal job, job delivering that. And we, the real estate community, had years to do it. And we let fighting with ourselves prevent us from doing it. It may it, not be too late. You could probably do it now and just do it so accurately that you make them look terrible, yet you guys still can't organize to get on that page. Yeah, and I, I hate to become cynical, but I I've honestly have, have started to, to wonder if we can save ourselves from ourselves soon enough. I mean, there's there there are a couple movements afoot that are really gaining traction. There's one on a national level that's going to really go a long way towards compiling all of the 
the real estate data into into one database. And there's some really good efforts going on in California. Uh, one to actually just grow uh, an MLS into a statewide MLS, but another just to create a backend database where all the the data could be housed and then and utilized, but not how necessarily does, exposed in the form of an MLS. I don't understand how the national association or the state associations haven't already done that. Well, the state associations are made up of um, about in, in California. There's about 72 multiple listing services that are the members of the California MLS or California Association of Realtors, and the the trade organization doesn't have the authority to force those MLSs to do anything that they don't want to do. Interesting. And many of them, because of the leadership within their communities, believe that they empower the agents within their community to um, guard. Yeah, keep the, the information business. in a chokehold. Yeah, and, and therefore maintain a higher um, percentage of the business, and, and they keep people from outside the area coming in and, and engaging in transactions. In Do there. you know, like, good, respectable, reputable realtors here in SLO that are against a statewide MLS? Yeah, I do. There's a, a, they, a are lot their of, arguments good? Uh, that's a really that's a really tough question because I don't agree with their arguments. I'm, I'm simply on you the other side. You can disagree with somebody though and say their logic is okay or their <sighs> their intended outcome is okay though they're not doing a good job. I, I find that the most common arguments against uh, realtors pooling our data in a in a more um, effective manner tends to be fear-based you know it tends to be well if we put all this data out there you know we're not sure what the consequences are going to be does that mean that a bunch of agents from la are going to come up here and sell our listings which in a tough mar market might not be that bad but you know we happen to believe that our practitioners on the central coast are uh, of a of don't a you just ilk. ask that person won't you go to la and start selling all their listings no and they say no i would never do that why not <laughs> because I'm not an expert down there, and it would be irresponsible and, and against the code of ethics to practice where I don't hold expertise. But then, you know, they, they're the same agents who so as a rule, they a house just... in L.A., and they say, well, this one time I'm going to make an exception. Right. And they just don't trust the ethics and professional um, courtesies and those kind of things of their own industry people? Right. But here's my point with regard to that particular argument. You know, the scenic coast... Um, Association of Realtors and Multiple Listing Service opted into this this statewide movement uh, a number of years ago, and we studied the ratio of out of area agents coming in and practicing in our in our area, and the change was insignificant. Yeah. But there was a change that we didn't even realize. There was an issue that we didn't even realize was going on that was solved, and that was out of area agents were listing homes within our geographic areas that we were unaware of. We because didn't even know these homes were listed until we joined the statewide effort. And then all of a sudden that information appeared in the MLS and we became invited through participation in the MLS to participate in those transactions. So our agents got exposure to inventory greater volume. That, that they wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. So fascinating. Yeah. Wild. Um, all right. Well, I'm about to take a break and throw you out. Do you have anything more that you'd like to add? No, I appreciate you guys having me on today, and I appreciate the chance to talk. How about How does it a lot feel? It's been a long. I think last time you were in here was like 
It's been three months. Yeah, I mean. that's a good long time. I know. I missed you guys so badly. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to be back. I <laughs> love you guys. And like, just it's like riding a bike to seeing you right there. <laughs> so tell me something. Anything. Hey, it's a it's a great time to uh, start looking at the real estate market. <laughs> oh, I thought this was a bad time. No, it's a good time to start It's a looking. good time now. You've okay. never, ever heard a realtor say, you know what? You should wait. You should wait. <laughs> I think you no, should I've, wait a you couple know what? I'll, Grab I'll, your ducats and wait on the sideline here. It's not a good time. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a clue from the from Zillow Talk. They, they've run pretty significant analysis across the country on the best time to put a home on the market. And it oh, is... December. No, it's between March Madness and the Kentucky Derby. Okay. When's the Kentucky Derby? After March Madness. Thank you. About I think it's about six weeks after, but I don't remember. What's sure. the the Memorial Labor Day? What's the holiday that's like out there in May where you can't wear white or something? You're, uh, I'm all over the place. That's Labor Day, but the one in May is Memorial Day. I think that's is that what you're talking about? Because isn't the Kentucky Derby around then? Jim, quick, look it up. Yeah. I'm looking at the Kentucky Derby. How right about now. we take a commercial break? We can look it up and then report back after the commercial. May 6th. Sounds like a good idea. May hey, 6th. Wes, yeah. if anyone's looking to get a hold of you or any of your agents, how can they do that? Call the office direct at 544-7000. Give me a shout personally if you want to chat with me direct at 801-7061. Go to pattersonrealty.com. All right. Wes Burke, owner, broker of Patterson Realty. They're everywhere. If you, if you live in San Luis County, you want to get a hold of those folks. They know what they're doing. Thanks, Thanks. for being with us, Thanks, Wes. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Commercial time. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328358. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, everybody, welcome back. Um, yeah, thanks much to Wes for joining us for the first time in three months. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's um, good to have him check in every now and then. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so let's see here. What do you got, mister? Well, there's a little bit of new stuff that we didn't really touch on yet. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. October producer price index showed minus 0.4%. Yes. Takeout food and energy minus 0.3%. Mm-hmm. In the good, uh, the words of our good friend Jeff Eccles, I'm just a state school kid. Mm-hmm. But if it's getting cheaper for the producer to produce... How then, in the same period, does the consumer pay more for said goods plus 0.2% on both core um, CPI? So that's the consumer price index and the core CPI. Both are plus 0.2%. Does that just mean that the producers had better profits that month because they produced for less and sold for more? Um, I can... I think first I'm going to say I don't know the correct answer to that question, but I, I have a, I'll speculate that there's some lag, you know, is that producer price number reflecting the price of goods that producers made that month or that were actually sold that or particular inventories? month? inventories. Yeah, I, I got to believe there's some kind of timing lag um, with the the consumer and producer numbers. I just thought that was really weird. You know, I read perhaps, that. perhaps the, the products that the goods that made it into this most recent PPI number aren't going to actually hit the CPI number until a month or two down the road. And then we're going to see CPI drop as well. It, I don't know. But maybe the feds look at that and expect that, um, because if CPI, if they're, let's say, the next month CPI then is going to have an almost half point reduction. That's a, that's going to be a, a little piece of data to, to consider when you make your rate decision. Another another thought that just jumped into my head is that this time of year you've probably got producers producing more, you know, so they're probably producing more efficiently, volume, a lower cost per unit because they're anticipating larger sales coming up for the holiday season. 
Then you, but Black Friday, those where everybody's got to sell their stuff at no profit. Well, and then and then so there you go. Then you may see that December uh, reading of consumer prices down because of all the sale up sales that you see out there. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot of different things that go into it. There's I, probably not a right or wrong answer. I mean, it's just. I think that's why we focus more on the year over year trends more so than the month over month trends. But interestingly enough, though, I mean, based on what you were saying earlier, it sounds like we're. I would suggest um, dangerously close to achieving that desired inflation rate, though, huh? You took me by surprise with that. The 1.9? Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised, too, because every time I see the reading, it seems to indicate that we're nearly flat or like, you know, somewhere less than 1% year-over-year growth. But again, I, I had a little disclaimer when I went to that website. It did have a note saying that it was not seasonally adjusted. So maybe that was because part of the this time error. of year you're paying more for corn because it's out of energy. I don't know. Or the I just felt like if you were comparing this November to last November that that was seasonally adjusted, but I don't know. I yeah. you know I'm yeah. not making these statistics up, so I don't really know what goes into all of them. But interesting. Anyway. So you're trying to report observations anticipate how it's going to affect the business yeah um it's not always easy earlier in the show we talked a little bit about how november and december can be can be decent times for people to get a loan and um you know with these lighter volumes there's a few benefits number one i'm going to argue that i think you're actually going to get yourself a little bit better deal because banks are trying to kind of buy some business through the door um but additionally you gotta get through a little bit quicker too huh the line's shorter there's less less orders for the appraiser there's less escrows open for the escrow agents there's less files on the underwriter's desk so everything i think goes a little bit quicker and a little bit easier so those days that we'll lay in our office this week is closed on Thursday and Friday. And we've seen that with a lot of the banks as well. Yeah. And then, you know, similarly, when Christmas hits on a Thursday, oftentimes you'll see it be closed on Thursday and Friday or. You know, well, actually, I should correct that. The banking world is not allowed to have their institutions closed for four consecutive days. Um, so there banks where you have where they're holding your checking and savings, those will be open for some short period of time on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. But um but the mortgage banks, the the mortgage world pretty much shuts down for those couple days. That's why we look at November as kind of, it's it's basically a 3 week month and then we roll in dis, into December where it's almost a 2 week almost month. a 2 week month. And I mean, <laughs> yeah, so anyways my point was is that you can get some pretty good deals the timing is actually still decent in spite of some closure because there's just a little bit less volume going through at the same time. So it, it makes it a fine time if you're in a place where you want to, you know, get come in and get counseled about a refi, you know, or look into those. Things. I mean, I, I feel like a broken record on this topic, but if you have mortgage insurance or an adjustable rate loan or a second that's variable or an interest only loan that's about to turn into a fully amortized loan, there's so many reasons why people might be considering doing a refi right now. Additionally, the way that loans are structured, there's typically some origination charge, at least 
some portion of origination is in a loan, which is also a tax write-off. So December presents, you know, the last month of opportunity for somebody that needs to refinance and can sneak in and you can get some tax benefits for this period. Additionally, November, December are great times for us to do some real strategic planning with our clients. And I, I want to give you a good example of this. Um, I, I'm working with a client right now that is self-employed and um, we, we did the qualification to find out if they could afford the loan they wanted and they did not qualify. They don't have enough income. Now, the reason they don't have enough income, it's not really because they didn't make enough, but they were just a little bit too, um, flagrant with the write-offs, you know, like, yeah, when you're self-employed, I guess you can write off that shirt and I guess you can write off half that lunch and every cup of coffee you buy. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can. But there's in the end, if there's a loan you need, there's a real cost to that. And so these people don't qualify. And so they're at a unique place, though, where it's December right around the corner and they need to get a loan in the next few months. And so we're doing an evaluation of if they elected to to write off less or to phrase it another way, to be a little bit more honorable about their qualified business expenses in the eyes of the IRS and report more income, it allows them to qualify for a loan. And so what we're doing is some analysis where I can tell them what they need to qualify. They can evaluate what they need to write off then or choose to not write off and then meet with the accountant to discuss if they structure this in a way to qualify for their loan by way of writing off less, what is the cost then in the tax consequence for going into that next bucket? And so all that, I feel like maybe a few different moving parts, maybe a little more complicated. What I'm telling you is if you're self-employed and you've been unable to qualify, December presents a really unique opportunity for you to do some tax planning around some potential qualification planning. And this is something that we like to do with our clients um, that know they need that help. Before you file, if you know you have to transact real estate next year, um, it's a pretty good idea to make sure that you're not, you know, nailing your own foot. Let's let's make sure that you you understand, because sometimes you do, you'll look at it and we'll say, you don't qualify. And they will oh, look at this. And if I go to that, these will be the taxes. So what that means is I'll save more on taxes if I don't put myself in a position to refi. So I'm not refining and I know that, and this is why. But at that point, we've identified all the numbers. We know the costs. We understand why they're making the decision they're making. That's really what the goal is, right? Understand what happens when you pull this lever, what happens when you push that button, and understanding that each of those things I think we should be um, looking at from a standpoint of how best to position ourselves. I mean, because we're each a walking balance sheet, right? your income and your liabilities and your assets. And you got to make sure that, you know, yeah, your mortgage is a liability, but so is your tax bill. So we just got to make sure you understand all the moving parts and that you're you're doing everything deliberately. That's the kind of um, whole customer service that we like to provide in our company. So if you feel like you could benefit from that help, we'd love to hear from you. If you have mortgage insurance, let's look at it and talk about, First, the most ideal way to get rid of your mortgage insurance is for us to help you understand how to get out of it with your current lender. 
don't do a new loan, don't incur the cost and the time and the expense of doing a new loan, and and go down that road of figuring out exactly how to make it stop while keeping the loan you have, we can give you that help. If it can't, or that is so far down the road that we can mathematically figure out a, a more economical way of doing it sooner, that's where we start talking about doing refis, figuring out what the best thing to do there is. So um, those are great calls. If you have mortgage insurance, call us. I, I'm, and I'm not just trying to do a sales thing on you. There's some real logic, math, assessment that can be done here, uh, and, and you'll appreciate going through that. Um, otherwise, cash out for things, home improvements, remodels, add-ons, a kid going to college, a relative that needs some, you know, funding for a retirement home or something like this. There's lots of reasons why people need to take equity out of their home. Um, if that's something that you need to do, come see us so that we can talk about the strategies to get you into the best place you could be in. Um, and sometimes that means not doing a loan against your house, but, um, you know, taking a loan against your 401k or selling your second home or something else. But those are the kind of conversations that we have. That's the kind of stuff we do. Um, so lots of reasons that you guys might want to, um, to reach out to us and let us help you. And, and I just want to give you the way to do that. Uh, the web is a great way. It's centralcoastlending.com. You got to type out that whole long thing, but once you get there, you should be able to find everything you need to figure out, um, you know, what loan officer you want to talk to, what program you're after. There's some rate calculators. There's some eligibility. You can look at the current market interest rates, kind of get a barometer of what this is before you just um, jump feet first. And for those that are ready to jump feet first, uh, give us a phone call. 543-LOAN rings all of our offices around the county. So it's nice and easy. Typically what we do, if you don't have a loan officer that you're just dying to work with, um, is we'll just pair you up with one geographically. So if you're in Paso, you know, we'll get you up to one of our Paso guys. And if you're in Atascadero, we'll get you one of the Atascadero folk. Morro Bay, the the coast out there, and then San Luis Obispo. Um nice and easy and and i hope that you'll find the experience that i hope you're going to get which is just a no pressure sales environment where we're going to help you figure out your loan needs so have a great thanksgiving everybody we're going to be replaying a show next week so happy thanksgiving happy thanksgiving everyone and we'll be back in two weeks